when it comes to discussing the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's a major imbalance in our discussion. You see, when we typically talk about God, the Father, we can illustrate how he was the creator of all. We can illustrate that he is the one that we pray to. When we talk about Jesus, the Son, the second of the, in the Trinity, then it's easy to talk about that God came down in the flesh, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, but he didn't just die on the cross. He was buried and resurrected from the grave and he ascended to heaven. So we can talk about that. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about something for a second. The last time that you had a theological conversation, a God-based conversation with someone, how much time did you spend talking about the Holy Spirit? Just think about that for a second. Or the last time you had a gospel conversation with someone, how much time did you spend talking about the work of the Holy Spirit today in believers? See, the answer for most of us is not enough because there's an imbalance. When we talk about God the Father, we're all gung-ho about talking about him. We're all excited about talking about Jesus Christ and the work that he did. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, especially with sharing the gospel, we get a little silent. Why? Because it's a little weird telling somebody that doesn't understand that God dwells within us, right? That there's a Holy Spirit that's leading and guiding us. That gets a little weird. Either that or we don't know much about the functionality, the role of the Spirit. And so oftentimes we stop at the cross and say that Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross. And yes, he rose from the grave and then we put a pause on it. But I think when we share the gospel that way that we're missing out on a, a huge element of the gospel, the good news, what's happening now, how God's plan is still being revealed, how it's still being laid out, how it's still being his ultimate plan that he started with from the beginning. But it's through the work of the Holy Spirit. And you see, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, even said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of Christian doctrines. Christian people are not in doubt as to the work that Christ did. They know that he redeemed men by his atoning death, even if they differ amongst themselves as to what exactly this involved. But the average Christian is in a complete fog when it comes to knowing what the Holy Spirit does. And then you get to this other side where you may not talk about the Spirit, and some people talk about the Spirit too much and have no idea what the Spirit's role and responsibility is. They start conversations off like saying, God told me to do this. God led me to do this. And I'm always like, well, hey, brother, you should be careful because that might be your flesh just being disguised as the Holy Spirit. You see, as Christians, it's important that we understand the role of the Holy Spirit. We know exactly what the Holy Spirit is designed to do, was, 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 was put it within us to do, because God made it very clear in his word what the Holy Spirit's responsibility is. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. He tells us exactly what it is, and we need to make sure that our understanding of the Holy Spirit is aligned with what the Bible says the Holy Spirit does, which is part of God's plan for redemption. And we need to also see the gift of having the Holy Spirit in our life. You see, we don't, as I mentioned, we don't think about the Holy Spirit enough. But think about this for a second. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't seek God. 
without the Holy Spirit, we don't have a desire to know who God is. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't get wisdom to live out life how God has told us to live out life. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't have sanctification. We can't be more like Christ every day in our life. And here's the kicker. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no assurance that we belong to Christ, according to Romans 8, 9. No assurance. We just have to guess. But God has given us the Holy Spirit within us to provide fruit in our life for us to have that assurance that we belong to God. So as Christians, we need to have that clear understanding and understand how the Holy Spirit is working through our lives. And Jesus helps us understand exactly what that work is that the Holy Spirit does so that when we understand the Holy Spirit, we can talk more about it. And when we really understand the work of the Spirit, we shout it from the rooftops. Every time we're in a gospel conversation, we're talking about the Spirit because without the Spirit, you and I aren't able to follow Christ. And so it's important that we understand and know the role of the Holy Spirit, and we know according to God's Word what the Holy Spirit is. Because Jesus tells us, as we get ready to open up in John 16, that having the Holy Spirit within us is far more valuable than having Him on earth. Do you realize that? Like, He's saying, I should go, and I got something that's even better, even better than having Jesus here in the flesh He's saying the Holy Spirit that's going to come is much more advantageous to you to continue doing the work that I'm calling you to do. That's exciting news, guys. So let's open up the word to John 16. We're going to start in verse 5. And since you guys like to take on whole chapters here, I'm going to read it in chunks. (laughs) We're going to go verse 5 through verse 15. And then we'll work our way through as we get to the following points. John 16, verse 5, starts off this way. It says, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, these things he's referring to the persecution that he just talked about, ending chapter 15, because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So right now, the disciples, they can't even listen to what Jesus is saying because he's saying, like, look, there's going to be persecution. You're going to suffer for your faith. And so this has them all discombobulated right now. I was like, wait, wait, what? What do you mean I'm going to suffer? I thought this was all good. Like you were coming to save us. Now you're saying I'm going to suffer if I follow you? So they're thinking about themselves right now. Verse 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, right? So he's giving them this, and they can't even understand it. And so he's saying, you, you can't bear what, I'm, what, what more I'm going to give you. He says, but this in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. So the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, there's a job description. There's a job summary for you. You want two words? What is he going to do? He's going to glorify Christ. That's the role of the Spirit. 
If we had to put a summary of it, we'll get down to more detail. But his role is to glorify Christ. That's what he's, that's what he's coming to do. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so as we end that little section right there, it's important for us to understand the Trinity, the alignment of the Trinity that's right there. Because Jesus is saying, everything that the Father is giving me, I'm going to give to you through the Holy Spirit. So all of us are in unison together. We're all united in everything that we're talking about. The Spirit that is within all of us as Christians, as believers, is the same thing that God the Father is instructing Jesus to do according to God's will. It's the same thing that Jesus was doing on earth and now we get to do in the Spirit. And so there's alignment, speaking of the Trinity there. But it's important that we understand how we get the Holy Spirit. How, how, does, it, how does it come to us? And that starts in verse 7. Verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, I mean, this is the turning point of the New Testament, right? So you have Jesus's earthly ministry and he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave, but here's how we're going to utilize the rest of our time on earth. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's no longer through Jesus being in person in the flesh. I mean, can you imagine being in the disciples' shoes for a second? Because that's what we need to picture right here. This is why they're all discombobulated, because they've been waiting 400 years for this Messiah to come to save them from everything that they're going through. The Messiah finally comes, and they realize this is him. This is the one Isaiah 53 has been talking about. This is the Messiah that's supposed to come to redeem his people. He's here. And Jesus said, all right, I'm out of here. What? I've been waiting all this time for you, and now you're gone? Well, I'm confused. What do you want me to do? And he says, you're going to be persecuted. See you. Peace. Right? And if we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, we can imagine how they struggled with this. I mean, you and I struggle with simple change, right? We, we have changes going on in our jobs, and we're like, ah, I can't handle this, right? We have changes going on in our home with our kids. It's like, oh, man, we, we don't know what to do. But imagine if the Messiah... You're thinking that he's there, that he's coming to save and redeem his people. And then he says, I'm gone. That's tough. But he's going to send the helper. He's going to send something that's much better than him in person. This better be something huge. And it is. If we look at Acts 1, 8, and 9, you can just jot it down. I'll read it for us. I want to take you exactly to here when the ascension happened. Because this is probably the one most critical points in the New Testament. And again, if we don't know Acts 1, 8, and 9, then this is a verse you need to highlight in your Bible because the ascension is that important. If the ascension doesn't happen, the Holy Spirit doesn't come, and we don't have God within us to lead us to be more like Christ. It says this in verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. And so as we go on, we hear this in, in Scripture that, 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 that the Holy Spirit was richly poured out on us, right, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's richly poured out on us. But here's the key. Here's the reason why Holy Spirit is better than Jesus in person. Sounds weird to even say, right? But there's a reason why it's better. 
Because Jesus, when he's in the flesh, when he is here having two feet on the ground, he's he geographically locked into where he is, right? And so he's able to share the gospel. He's able to do, do miracles. He's able to do all of these things. And yet word spreads, but look, they didn't have social media and Instagram back in the day, right? It didn't spread that far. And so the word spread, but you think when Jesus is now ascended, to heaven, and he's sitting there at the right hand of God. He then sends the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit has unlimited geographical access, right? He's all over the place. He's in believers here, he's in believers in the next country, and he's able to continue the work of Christ through each one of us as believers. And so that's why Jesus can say, I, I got something that's even better for you. Because you think it was good having me here. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to proclaim to the ends of the earth. He's going to continue to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And keep going. Talk about scalability. I mean, that's scalability at its, its finest right there, right? Right? Scaling across the ends of the earth, consistent through each individual believer. But we need to understand, again, my point in the beginning was understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in verses 8 through 11. It, it tells us exactly what the work of the Holy Spirit is, right? It says he is convicting the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then you drop down a few verses in verse 13. It says he will guide you. So sin, righteousness, judgment, and he will guide you, right? So those are the things of the Holy Spirit, and we need to understand how he works within our life. And so that brings us to point number one this evening, and I wrote it down this way. We need to biblically examine the Spirit's work in your life biblically examine the Spirit's work in your life. You see, because we can always get these feelings of, I think God is leading me to do this. I think God is leading me to do that. But we need to always come back to Scripture and say, does this line up with what Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come to do? Because he gives it to us very clearly. He has a specific plan for the Spirit on this side of the cross. And we can refer back to that in the Word to find out. I was a little late to the game on this, but uh, one of the biggest investments or best investments, I should say, I, I got into probably within the last year is getting a ring doorbell. That thing is awesome because I don't even have to be there half of the time. And I think it, it, it prompts me to be lazy because I don't go to the door anymore. I just check on my phone while sitting probably a few feet from the door. But nonetheless, it, it's, it's, it's effective, right? Because I'm like, who is this coming to my door? And I can look, and if it's somebody that I need to go to the door to see, then I can go to the door to see. If it's not, then they don't even know I'm home, right? Um, but that can, that can happen. And so this ring doorbell is great because I can see it. Even if I'm at work, it's great because my wife and kids are at home. And so if somebody knocks on the, or hits the ring doorbell, then it will alert me. And I can see exactly who it is. And sometimes I love it when I, I talk through it. So I'll have somebody come to the door. I'm like, hey, what's up? And they're like, who, who is, who, who's talking to me, right? But I can talk to them. And so it's effective in a sense that it's, it's protecting my home. It, it detects anybody that comes to the door. It also detects nonsense, like when my kids are running outside or when my dog's outside. So it, it can be something that is a distraction as well. But the point is with this ring device is I can choose to address it or I can choose to ignore it, but it detects any type of motion that comes to my door. 
where you see the Holy Spirit is that same way with sin. It detects sin as it comes within our range. And when sin is happening in our life, it detects us. It detects the sin and it alerts us to say, hey, that's no good. That's not according to what Jesus wants you to do. That's not according to God's will for you to keep doing. And we have a choice to either address it or dismiss it. But the thing is with sin, it doesn't, or excuse me, with the Spirit, it doesn't go away. You see, we continue to get these alerts and these notifications, and it continues to bother us to the point where it makes it hard for us to pray. It makes it hard for us to read God's Word. It makes it hard for us to be around godly people because we have this shame and this guilt. That's the Holy Spirit at work, you see? And so it, can, it, it, it convicts us and concerns us when sin is happening, right? It even concerns people that are not Christians as well. So it convicts them, and that's why you can share the gospel with whomever you want to, and you can trust and know that as long as you share the truth of the gospel, you've done what God has asked you to do. It's not for you to save anyone. God is the one that's going to save. And so when you share the truth of the gospel, you can pray and know that the Holy Spirit is going to work far beyond your conversation. The Holy Spirit is going to continue to convict them of their sins while they're laying their head down on their pillow and you're not around. When they're starting to think about life and what actually has to happen at the end of this life, the Holy Spirit convicts people and brings them to a saving faith have this, this, this weight of sin that they have to deal with. You see, this, uh, th- th- this point that I want us to get, this sub-point that I want us to get here is the Holy Spirit exposes sin. That's letter A, right? That the Holy Spirit exposes sin, right? It, it, it exposes it to the point where some people either turn and repent or, as we see in most of our culture today, they hate Christians, right? They don't want to hear anything about Jesus. If you stop talking about Jesus, you would make everybody more happy. That's what they want you to do, right? You're bigoted, you're hatred, you don't care. All of these things that they'll say because sin is exposed to them, right? That's the word, that's the word conviction. It's like here, it's exposed. It's, it's shown to you exactly what's happening. You see, because they, they rebel against Christ, right? They don't want to follow Christ. They said, because they do not believe in me, all right. And you can look at this if you go to, you know, if you hear from any other religion or if you even go to Costco, right? Think about going to Costco. At the front of Costco, they always have somebody who's like, hey, what type of internet service you have? I don't know, dude. Stop asking me. AT&T. I, I do have AT&T, but that, that's what they're selling. So that's what gets them quiet. Just FYI, if you want to know. Um, <laughs> AT&T, right? Or by the time you check out and then you go out, you got somebody else asking you for solar, Right. They're always asking you questions, right? It can be annoying at times. But guess what? Nobody's threatening their life. Why? Because you can just turn that off. It's no big deal. Like, whatever. I don't want to buy it. No, I'll keep walking. But what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit continues to convict non-believers. It convicts them knowing that they're not doing something right. And what they want to do is just get rid of it. And so the Holy Spirit, one role is it exposes sin. The second thing it does is, letter B, is it promotes righteousness, says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. So everybody, when Jesus was there walking on earth, all the Jews were quick to say he was blaspheming, right? You're blaspheming. You're using the name of God. You don't have a relationship with God. Who are you to call yourself as the son of God? Who are you to say that you have this relationship that we don't have, right? They call him a blasphemer the entire time. Well, it got to the point where if Jesus' perfect life wasn't enough, the ultimate mic drop was him dying, resurrecting, and being ascended to God, right? I mean, at that point in time, you realize like, oh, maybe he, he is who he said he was, right? 
And so that whole point, like when he died and he showed that all that righteousness that he had was true, then all of a sudden now he convicts people of righteousness because everything that he said is true, right? And the righteousness, when we think about righteousness, it only comes from God. It's only through Jesus. And there's only one standard when it comes to righteousness. And Jesus proved that he was the one that could live the perfect life that was ultimately righteous. So he, he's concerning people, uh, or excuse me, convicting people concerning righteousness. Letter C is, I put it this way, highlights judgment. The Bible says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, Christ's death on the cross, that was the worst thing that could happen for the devil, right? It's the worst thing that could happen. John 12, 31 says, now the judgment of this world, now, the, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The worst thing that could happen for the devil was that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins and that he rose from the grave because guess what? His whole story, everything that he had that he was lying to people about, it was over. It was done, right? Because the, the ultimate judgment had already had, had, had come at this point, right? He judged the ruler of this earth. He's able to judge Satan to realize that he is the father of lies. His lies were exposed. And now it's very clear. You have, a, you have a, a, an avenue to righteousness only through God, or you have to pay for your punishment, that we're all, the judgment that we're all going to receive. The next point, the last one, D, is this. He's the guide towards Christ-likeness. Right? He's the guide. It says he guides you into all truth. What is that truth? We learned in John before. Truth is Christ, right? And so this reminds me of me teaching my daughter how to ride a, a bike. And what I'm so thankful for nowadays is they have these, like, extended handles that I can just hold here instead of bending over and, and holding the bike seat for But while she's learning how to ride the bike, I can hold this handle and I can control a lot of what she's doing. I can guide her in the right direction. And so right now she's riding the bike and she's working on turning left and right. And sometimes she even takes her hands off the handlebars. I'm like, that's not smart. You can't do that. But I'm guiding her, right? And so she makes silly decisions, but I'm still guiding her where she needs to go. And that's the, that's the, that's the illustration. That's the point of what Jesus is doing, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit is doing for us. He's guiding us throughout our life. Yes, we can turn it left and right. We can make bad decisions, but ultimately when we have the Spirit indwelled within us, He's guiding us to be more like Christ. When Christ left this earth, excuse me, earth, He sent the Holy Spirit, and now we all are made in the image of God. We all have this, this Christ-likeness that we're continuing to be more like Christ each and every day. And so that is why it is more advantageous for us to have the Holy Spirit even more so than Christ. And so it's, it's important now as we look at all of these, these four roles of the, the Holy Spirit as Jesus gives us, asking yourself, how is the Spirit working in your life? Right? How, how is the Spirit working when it comes to convicting sin? How is the Spirit working when it comes to promoting righteousness? How is the Spirit working when it comes to highlighting judgment? How is the Spirit working when it comes to guiding towards Christ, glorifying Christ? Because that's his job, right? That's the job summary he talks about. That's it, glorifying Christ. How is that happening in your life? Is that how you would describe the Spirit in your life? Or is it something else, which is probably flesh being disguised as the Spirit? questions you can ask yourself when thinking about that is how much, how much are you relying upon the Bible, God's Word, 
that we can know exactly what he's calling us to do in this life. How much are you relying on the Bible to weigh your decisions? How much are you praying that God's will would be done over your will? Right? How much are you involving other men to speak truth in your life? Because guess what? The way that we can really understand what the Spirit is trying to lead us towards is involving other Christian godly men that can also pray for you, that can also look at God's Word, that can also help lead you to a way that is glorifying Christ. A big red flag of, of us avoiding the Spirit is when we try to make decisions on our own. We try to make decisions in a vacuum and say, this is what God wants me to do. Well, if it's what God wants you to do, then ask other people, involve other brothers in Christ. That'll help you make a decision that God wants you to make. Because we must understand that at the same time that the Holy Spirit is working within us, that Satan is doing his very best to distract us and get us, get us off track. And he's very deceptive, very cunning when it comes to that. 2 Corinthians 5.20, as you all know this passage, we are Christ's ambassadors, right? Christ's ambassadors, that's who we are here on earth. We are representation of Christ here on earth. The Spirit gives us everything that we need to be more like Christ. We don't need prophets. We don't need miracles. We don't even need, right now, Jesus in the flesh. Because Jesus said, it's more important, it's more advantageous that I send the helper to you. Right? That's indwelt in all believers, leading and guiding them to truth. But if you're like me, you're probably looking at a lot of the Spirit's promptings, and it can be nerve-wracking. Right? It's like, ah, I don't really want to do that. And we can easily try to convince ourselves not to do something that the Spirit is convicting us to do. It's easy to do because a lot of the things that the Spirit convicts us to do is uncharted territory. It's scary, and that's the whole point because it requires us to lean upon the Spirit and trust that God is the one that's doing the work, right? But Jesus makes this point in our passage going back to verse 16. It says that he says we can have a promise. He, he gives us a promise that we can have permanent joy, permanent joy regardless of whatever we're about to face, regardless of whatever circumstance that you're in now. The Holy Spirit can give you permanent joy. Let's take a look at verse 16 and read a little bit about that. Getting back to our passage, verse 16 says, a little while you will see me no longer. And then again, a little while you will see me. So he's talking right there about his death and then his re resurrection. You won't see me and then you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he says to us? A little while and a little while you will not see me. And again, in a little while you will see me and because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does this mean? by a little while. We don't know what he's talking about. So again, realize we understand this because we have all of scripture. We know what's about to happen. The, the disciples are sitting there like, what are you talking about? It doesn't make sense, right? So there's this confusion. But in verse 19, Jesus knew, of course he knew, that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, in a little while you will see me. Then he clarifies it a little bit. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for, the, for joy that a human being has, born, has been born into the world. 
so also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy will be made full. So Jesus ends there by saying that, look, yeah, you haven't asked anything in my name, but when I leave, if you believe in me, then the Father is going to love you and you're going to have full access to the Father. Just as I have access to the Father, you're going to have that access to the Father and you're, you can ask the Father and you won't, he says, you won't need to ask through me is what's going on. I've flown countless amount of times in my life, but I do remember there was one flight. It was in the fall of 2005 where I thought I was going to die. Um, I thought that was my last day on earth because uh, there was a lot of turbulence on this flight. And I'm coming back from New York, back to Texas. Somehow or another, they end up putting me on a regional jet, those little small planes that I can't fit in, and it just gets tossed and turned everywhere. Yeah, I'm on that for three hours. And so the reason that I literally thought I was going to die that day is because there was so much turbulence and the plane was just bouncing up and down. But the main reason that I was most concerned for my safety is because the pilot was silent through all of it, right? And so if the pilot doesn't say anything, I'm thinking, dude, you, you're, you're just as scared as I am. And we got a problem here because you're flying the plane. Um, so that's what gave me more, most concern because I've been on flights with more turbulence than that, you see. But typically the pilot will come on and say, hey, we're about to hit turbulence for about five minutes. Uh, just buckle up. And once we get through that, it'll be smooth sailing. Right? And so that gives me the comfort to know that, look, he knows what's going on. He knows what's about to happen. He's telling me in advance so I can prepare myself. So when it happens, I can know that, look, I'm not going down because he told me this was going to happen. Right? If the pilot is silent, I'm concerned. If he's telling me everything before it happens, I think he has control of what's going on. Jesus here is telling the disciples exactly what's going to happen. He's telling them their worst nightmare, but he's telling them in advance that this is going to happen. This is part of the plan. This is what must happen. And guess what? It's going to get better even after this. And so in spite of what's going on and all that's going on in their lives right now and all the confusion that they have, Jesus is saying, look, you can have joy because I'm telling you what's about to happen. And that's not even the worst thing because in the end, I will overcome that. And so in spite of whatever you're going through in your life right now or whatever turbulence is happening, you can know in the end that Jesus told us everything that we're going through now as far as in this world was bound to happen. All the persecution, all the tough times, all the pressing down on Christianity and followers of Christ, it was going to happen. And so we too can trust that God's in full control and it's going exactly according to plan. And that's our second point this evening is we can have joy knowing God's plan is perfectly on track. Have joy knowing God's plan is perfectly on track. Jesus had to die. That was part of it. Jesus came, born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He had to die on the cross in order to be raised from the dead, in order to defeat death and be resurrected from the grave and then be ascended to the right hand of the Father. All of that had to happen. God told us everything that was going to happen. Therefore, when it happened, we didn't have to be worried. We didn't have to panic. I love the illustration that he talks about with a, a baby being born in, in verse 21, right? And so, again, the, the disciples are hearing all of this, and they're confused, and they, they got much sorrow because this was, the, this was their hero. This was their story that was about to be 
that was about to end now. They didn't have to worry about it. Here was the story of redemption for them. Jesus was here to save them. But then he says, I'm leaving, right? And so the world thinks that, hey, if I get rid of this Christ dude, then problem solved. We win. And Christ is saying, look, this, my, my plan is so good that the world is going to think that by killing me, they won. But only by killing me that my plan continues to advance. And by killing me, and letting me resurrect from the grave, I then can send the Holy Spirit that's going to make things even worse for the world because I'm going to have believers all over the place continuing to promote Christ. So you think if one person convicted a lot of sin, just imagine all the believers in the world being indwelt with the Holy Spirit continuing to convict sin. And so he takes this very problem that seems to be on the surface, and he doesn't replace the problem. He doesn't take it out of the situation. He turns that problem into joy. Right? And he, he, he tells us that all of this is going to happen. Acts 14, 22, he says, he says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Okay? So all of the tribulations that are going to happen in life, all the things that are going to be tough in this life, they're supposed to happen. They're going to happen. They have to happen in order for us to enter, enter the kingdom of God. Right? I mean, just think about a situation that you've had in your life where you've had God put you through a tough trial, something that was extremely hard for you to, to work through, something that you probably didn't even see the light of day as you're working through this. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. But then when God brought you through that trial, you look back and probably said, that's exactly what needed to happen. Right? God got my attention exactly how he needed to get my attention because of whatever that trial was. It could be a job situation. Right? You could have a change in your job or you can be unemployed right now. And on the surface, from a worldly standpoint, it's like, man, th th this is not supposed to be right. I'm supposed to be providing for my family. I'm supposed to be doing all this. Yeah, that's your, that's your job and responsibility. You should be on the hustle to figure out the job situation. But at the same time, God may have stripped something from you that was an idol for you. He might have stripped something for you to show you that, look, I need you to spend more time talking about me and spending more time with me. Therefore, when you do get your next job or you get your job uh, back, then you know exactly how to spend time with me, how to make sure I'm the priority and not the job that you're working on. Right? It, it, it hurts during that time. It, these are temporary pains that we all have to go through. But again, the Holy Spirit, God, continues to guide us and use those things to allow us to have a better relationship with him and to know and remember that this is God's plan. It's right on track. The suffering, the tribulations, the trials that we have in life, it's right on track. It's exactly what's supposed to happen. And reflecting on God's plan should bring us a, a joy knowing that we're right on track. But the other thing that should bring us a joy that we typically do every day is being able to pray in Jesus' name. Being able to pray in Jesus' name. Sometimes we just, we use that and we don't even think twice about what we're saying. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you're going to pray in my name, right? Jesus prayed to the Father. He had that relationship with the Father that he could pray and have direct access to him. Jesus said, when I leave, you're going to have that direct access to him. And so when you pray saying in Jesus' name, that, means, that should remind you the joy that you should have that, yeah, this is right on track. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. And this is the access that I get to have to the Father through Jesus Christ. Going to Disneyland is um, cost about a grand a person now, I think. Um, 
working its way up. But there was one time that I, I got a chance to go to Disneyland and I got a hookup. I like hookups. Um, if you can hook me up with somebody that knows somebody that can give me a deal, I'm all about it, right? And so there was this one time I got connected with this guy. I didn't even know the guy, but he said he can get me in free. Cool, we can be friends. Um, I got a family that's coming. So I, I met him up there. I got connected with him. And literally, he walked up and we, we shook hands and I met him for like five minutes. And he walked me up to the gate. And he showed a card like this and said, they're with me. And the lady scanned his card and they said, okay, you're, you're all good. Go in, have fun. And I'm just looking like, who in the world is this dude? Like, I need, we need to be friends. And I tried to be friends. I tried to keep texting him, but he never texted me back after that. So <laughs> it, was, it was a one-time thing. But anyway, it, it was like, it reminded me that story of who I knew. I had access, I had full access to Disneyland, to California Adventure, to all of that because of who I knew. If I go in there by myself, they're, they're, I, I got to open up the bank, bank account, pretty much. I got to open up savings account, really, um, to get in there. But it's because I had access. I had all access through somebody else that had the connection there. And so that's that, that's, that, that's that picture that we have with Jesus. We have connection to the Father because of Jesus Christ, because of the work that Jesus Christ had, did, because of the, the relationship that Jesus Christ had, we can have access to the Father just like he did. And so He's telling us we should pray in Jesus' name. And so even when you're praying in Jesus' name, that should bring you joy every time you get to say that because you are praying to the Father, to Jesus. And on top of that, Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus intercedes for us in addition to that. Right? And so with Jesus leaving, he no longer, we no longer get his place as praying to the Father and having that direct access. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That's good news. It's good news that we get to hear and that we get to understand on this side of the cross. We have that relationship now. Getting back to our passage, uh, verse 25, as it concludes this chapter, Jesus clarifies even more, right? He says in verse 25, I said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming where I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you will ask the Father, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. There's that, there's that example again of us being able to have that direct access. Verse 28, he makes it very clear for them because they're still not understanding. He says, I came from the Father, and I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? And he's questioning a shallow belief, right? It's sort of like a, you, you sure you believe? Because in verse 32, he says, this is what's going to happen. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. I've said these things, everything that he talked about in this chapter, I've said these things to you so that in me, you may have peace. No worries, not afraid of anything. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. You know, be of good courage. Have confidence. I have overcome the world. And so God wants us to understand that, that he is the one that has overcome the world. We can have peace, 
right, in everything that we can do. And we can have confidence that God is victorious in the end through all of this. And so as we're working as ambassadors for Christ, we should look at the Spirit's work in our own life and within the world and have peace and, reha- and have confidence in what God's plan is. And that's our final point this evening is let the Spirit's work remind you of Jesus' ultimate victory. Let the Spirit's work remind you of Jesus' ultimate victory. The Spirit is, is working all throughout this world. The Spirit is working all throughout your life. And I think what we need to do is recall more of that to give us confidence that God's plan is right on track. Everything that is happening is happening according to what God said would happen. Right? I mean, just think about it. Even the Bible, the, the Holy Spirit wrote a book, y'all. He, he wrote a book. And it's not just any book. It's a supernatural book. Because he was able to take over 2,000 years of time. He was able to take over 40 authors on three different continents using three different languages and write a united book. Right? It's not just a book of facts. This is a supernatural book. I was talking to an unbeliever a, a, a few weeks ago, and he said, you know what? The reason I have a problem with the Bible in comparison to other books is because if I can read history books, I can read them. The Bible wants me to change. Yeah. Yeah. It requires change. It requires a response. You can't just read it and close it and not do anything. You're either convicted by it or it's going to change your life. And so we have a book that the Holy Spirit has written through human authors that we can look at and remember that God's plan is right on course. The Spirit was working through Jesus, right? Luke 135, the angel Gabriel told Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So the Holy Spirit gave birth within Mary to Jesus or formed, Mary, formed Jesus within Mary, right? Luke 4, 1, 2, it says, and Jesus, right before he was going out to the wilderness to face the devil, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil, right? So the, the, the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus throughout his life, right? Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So that same spirit that brought Jesus to life, that same spirit that allowed Jesus to live the perfect life, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells within all of you as believers of Jesus Christ. Somebody's got to say amen to that. Amen. Amen. The same exact spirit is working within all of us that should bring us great joy. Great joy, brothers. Here's the other thing. The Spirit illuminates our minds, right? There's a a fancy word. It illuminates our minds. It enlightens our minds. And here's how we can see this. Every time you read the Bible, it doesn't matter how many times you read it, you always come across something that you're like, ah, I I missed that last time. No, you didn't miss it. It's because the Holy Spirit didn't illuminate your mind in order for you to see it. And so every time you read the Bible, the fact that you can never read the entire Bible and know everything about it is a miracle. It's a work of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that should remind us, that should bring us great joy every time we, we uncover some new truths about the Bible. It should make us smile because that's the Spirit working within us, right? I mean, even look where the Spirit is taking you in your life. You're gone from being dead, dead in your sins, right, to being made alive, to being sanctified, to being more like Christ than you were a month ago, a year ago depending on how long you've been saved, decades ago, right? You can look and see this progress in your life. It's not you. Uh, Let me just tell you, it's not you. You didn't just get smart. 
right? The Holy Spirit has allowed you to grow to be more like Christ. Remember, that's, that's the job summary of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ. And he's done that in your life. So we need to think back in our own life and realize how big of a miracle it is to change who we once were, destined for hell, pleasing ourselves to have a life that's full of pursuing God, pursuing Christ above all other things. That just didn't happen. That was a miracle that happened that should bring us great joy, remembering the work of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus gives us these warnings to give us peace, right? We also can see the work of the Spirit that should give us comfort that God is in full control over everything that's going on. Deep sea divers are uh, interesting characters first to want to even do that, but um, deep sea divers have a, a, a unique job, right? They go to the, try to find the depths of the, the, the ocean and see what's down there below. I can look just by Googling stuff, but they want to do it. They want to go down there and see. But one thing that's interesting about deep sea divers is as they are down there, there's one thing that's more important than anything else that's going on in their life. And that's that oxygen tank that they have on the back. You see, because if they don't know how to use the oxygen tank or they lose connection with the oxygen tank, life is pretty much over for them unless they can find their way to the top without using the oxygen tank. Because you see, we're, we're, we're deep sea divers and ourselves, all of us included, that's a foreign world. We're not made to survive in the water. And so they need to, in order to survive, be able to take a source, a resource from a different world outside of the water and bring it down in there in order to, to, to survive, right? That's how the Holy Spirit works in our life. He works as an oxygen tank for us, right? Because we're not able to survive in this life as Christians unless we have a source from above that is providing everything that we need to get by in this life. And so if we don't know how to use our source that we're getting from above, or if we get disconnected with that source from above, we can't live this life as Christians. We can't survive here. This is not our home. This is a foreign place for us. And so we need that oxygen, so to speak, that Holy Spirit that comes from above that dwells within us in order to know how to live this life to be more like Christ. So I want us to think about that as we think about the role of the Holy Spirit is know the Spirit's role that's in your life, right? And let him work through you, how God has designed him to work through you. And you can have much joy knowing that God's plan is right on track, working through the Spirit in your life as he's designed it to be. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the Spirit. Thank you that we can have the Spirit that guides us to be more like Christ. Lord, if we did not have the Spirit, which is such an important conversation when we think about the gospel, when we think about your redemptive plan, the Spirit has to be talked about. The ascension has to be talked about. Without the ascension, without the Spirit, we, we, don't, we, we don't know how to seek you. We don't know how to be like you. We don't know how to even desire you. We don't know how to grow in wisdom and holiness or Christ-likeness. And Lord, so I pray that we can understand the Spirit more, that we would be more engaged, more excited about the Spirit and having conversations about the importance of the Spirit and how it is uh, crucial and necessary that we have him indwelling within us to live a life according to your plan. 
So, Lord, thank you for the study. Thank you for, for Jesus, his life and his ministry. Thank you that he was all-knowing, all-powerful, and able to uh, tell us uh, everything that was going to happen so that we can have a peace and a confidence to know that he will be victorious in the end. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can pray at the end of every prayer in Jesus' name because you've allowed us to do so, which is a gift from you. So we thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.